right. So on the morning of August 7th, 1974, a French high wire artist named Philippe Petit managed to, to walk a tightrope, right, that was suspended between the, the two towers of the World Trade Center in New York City. Now, this has been referred to as the, the artistic crime of the 20th century. And it took, it took Philippe Petit six years to plan this stunt. And in planning this, this Twin Towers walk, right, he had to learn how to kind of accommodate and adjust, right, to the issues of the buildings swaying sideways. Like that was part of their design was in high winds, those buildings would move. So he had to figure that out. Like how do I walk across a tightrope that's kind of moving and swaying and bending, right? How do I do that? Uh, he had to figure out what the effects of the wind on his body, the weather, those kinds of things would be. They had to figure out how to rig a 200-foot steel cable, that would go across, 138 feet across the two buildings. They had to figure that out without anybody kind of picking up on what they were doing, right? Because this was clearly not a legal thing. The towers were, were over 1,360 feet tall. If, you're, if you want to figure out what that means, it's a little over a quarter of a mile. That's how tall they were. And just after 7 o'clock in the morning on August 7, 1974, Petit stepped out on the wire, and he performed out on that wire for 45 minutes made eight different passes back and forth on that wire. He walked, he would dance, he, he like laid down at one point, right? And again, dur- during this, right, as all this is happening, there's no safety system. And this is actually from a poster. They made two movies about this. There's a movie made in 2015 by Robert Zemeckis called The Walk. It was like 3D. I, like, I got panic attacks just looking at the pictures. I couldn't, I couldn't watch the movie. Or there's a documentary in 2008 called Man on a Wire. Like, this is the promo, like, poster for the movie. I mean, just think about that. Walking a tightrope over a quarter mile above the ground, right, that moves and bends and sways, right? And the dude is out there. He danced across it. He, like, waved to people, right? He laid down at one point, just took a nap, right, all that kind of stuff. No safety system. And it's crazy. Like, you look at this and go, that is nuts. That is crazy. How would anybody be able to do that, right? Again, like, I'm watching these pictures. I'm looking at some of these pictures in my office. Like, I'm trying to figure out what pictures we're going to use for today. And it's like, I got my head my hands going, like, I'm freaking out, uh, and it's clearly like the dude survived. He made it. And, like he was arrested shortly after, you know. But here's the thing: it's like I like I, I cannot. There's I I watched the trailer for the 2008 documentary called Man on a Wire, and really like, I almost had to call my therapist and go, "Can I get in to see you this afternoon?" Like I'm freaking out over here. Why? I'm watching a dude walk across a, a tightrope in between the World Trade Center in 1974. Like I'm I'm losing my mind. So. It is, it's crazy when you think about this. Somebody would actually be willing to do this. Someone actually took six years to plan this and then went through with it. I mean, it's just wild. And so you may be going like, where, where are we going with this? Like, why are we starting with, you know, talking about this kind of stuff? Some of us in the room also maybe are afraid of heights are going, I need to get out of here. At least give me like a bag to breathe into because I'm about to hyperventilate. We kicked off this series. Here's where I'm going with this. We kicked off the series last week by saying that it feels like for a lot of us, our lives are kind of lived in this constant state of tension. Like we're navigating this tension that exists between this ideal picture of life. And there is, there's an ideal picture of life. We've got this ideal in our minds. And, and again, the, the social media just kind of feeds into this ideal a lot of, you know, this is what life should look like and this is what life needs to look like and these are the dreams that I want to pursue. And we've got this ideal picture. And we have to navigate the tension between ideal and real. Because the ideal that we have in our heads most of the time, what's real and true, doesn't really add up to that. And so we've got to figure out how to navigate this tension. Every single day, 
for a lot of us, feels like a tightrope act. And it's, it's not just trying to like, bring balance and understanding to things that are right or wrong. It's not just that. Or, or things in this world that are good or bad. It's about navigating this, this tension that exists in like, our culture when it comes to things like morality, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to the economy, when it comes to politics. Like, everything feels like a tightrope. And every day feels like we walk a tightrope, whether it's a tightrope in the schools that we go to, or it's a, it's a tightrope listening to the, the conversations and things that come out of like our local, state, national governments, right? It feels like it's a tightrope in our jobs. It feels like a tightrope sometimes when we show up to church. When we wrestle with what we believe in, right, our faith, what we believe to be true, it feels like a tightrope between ideal and real, and see, like, like Philippe Petit, we've got to try to figure out how to get from one side to the other. And this is where we have a lot in common with him, right? We've got to figure out how to get from one side to the other. And there are a hundred different factors in, in any given day, right? There are elements in each day that can make the tight ropes in our lives kind of move and bend and sway. It's not that just walking across them is difficult enough. It's like they move. Sometimes life feels like they keep moving the goalposts on us. Or, or, or maybe it feels like you wake up on, on what you expect to be a regular day and one kind of little tiny detail goes sideways on you and the rest of the day is a mess. We talked about this in our, in our D group last week. It's like, you know, I, like I got a flat tire. I got a flat tire and the rest of my day was ruined. It was like this domino effect. The tightrope, right? It's hard to walk. It's hard to walk when it's sitting still. And the thing is, it rarely sits still. So like Philippe Petit, we've got to figure out how to navigate this tightrope that's, that's already unpredictable. But unlike Philippe Petit, we don't get six years to plan it. We don't get six years to practice. We don't get six years to figure out how we're gonna get from one side to another. Some days it feels like we don't even get six minutes, right? It's just go and hope you don't fall. Go, get across that line. Make it from one side to the other. Just go and don't look down, right? Last week I said this. One of the main reasons that our lives are becoming increasingly more complex and increasingly more complicated is due to all of the mess and the clutter that comes from the conditions, the expectations, and the consequences that really get attached to not only what we do, but who we are. It's not just that you have to do things different or do things better or do things like everybody else. It also comes down to your identity. It's not just doing, it's being. You need to be this. You need to be that. And there's all these if-then statements, right? Like these if-then statements kind of make things messy. If you want this, then you must do this. If you want that, if you want to be that, then you better not fail, you better not mess up because here are the consequences, right? If you want this, then this happens. If you don't do that, then this happens, right? Again, it's one of those things. That are these consequences and expectations and, and, and even like the conditions of the if-then statements in our lives, they make things messy, for students in the room, it makes things messy at school. If I want to get into this college, if I want to get into this, if I want to do this with my life, then I have to be perfect. I have to have this GPA. If I want to make the team, then I got to do this. For some of us at work, same kind of deal. If I want to get a promotion, if I want, to, if I want the boss to pay attention to me, if I, if I want to get a seat at the table where decisions are made, then this is, what, this is what has to happen. I have to sacrifice my family. I have to sacrifice time with my family on the altar of promotion. I don't, I'll just stay put. I'll stay where I'm at. Marriages, friendships, families, it's all these if-then statements. If you want this, then you got to do this. If you want this, you got to do that. And they all compete with each other. 
So it's hard to really tell up from down or right from left, right? And, and the church is even included in this, right? A lot of the times when we walk into a place like this or walk into a church, you feel kind of the if-then statements. If you want to be a good Jesus follower, then this is what you have to do. Check all the boxes, do all the right things, right? Don't cuss, don't chew, or girl, go with girls that do, right? Those kinds of things. So the tightrope, right? The tightrope walker, right? That we, that we, have, to, that, that we have to become, we have to become the acrobat, the tightrope walker, right? We don't really get much of a choice in this. It's get out there and walk. And really what it comes down to is this, right? We can either adhere to and walk the tightropes in our lives by meeting all of the conditions and living up to all the expectations that are put on us, or we wind up on the wrong end of all the consequences with no safety net. And it feels like that picture looking down on a tightrope walker 1,300 feet plus in the air with nothing underneath him. If he falls, he's done. For us, it feels like that a lot. If we fall, we're done. This is over. And the main difference between us and and Philippe Batie is this. For us, it's not just a one-time 45-minute stunt and then it's over. It's every day. It's everyday life. We wake up in the morning, we get out of bed, and we're back on the tightrope again, trying to figure out what does it look like to navigate this. So I want to be super clear and super upfront today, right? The goal of this series for the next few weeks, the goal of this series is to help us kind of declutter our lives, right? And the way we're going to do that is we're going to toss out all of the religious garbage and all of the self-righteous conditions, expectations, and consequences that often get attached to being a believer and follower of Jesus, and that come along with being a part of a community of Jesus followers like this, just a fancy word for the church, Right? All we are, we're a community of people trying to figure out what does it look like to follow Jesus and do the best we can. So we're going to declutter this thing. We're going to declutter what it looks like to, to kind of live that with God kind of life and what it looks like to follow Jesus. And the way we're going to do that, we're going to throw out the religious garbage. We're going to get rid of the self-righteous stuff, right, that makes things messy, those conditions, expectations, and consequences. And I know what, what, what you might be thinking, because I felt the same thing. When I sat down to kind of work through this and, and, and figure out where we're going to go in this, this series and sat down with, with, with a team here that helped us figure out, like, just let's put some details, let's put some skin on this, right? The first question I asked myself was this, like, how can decluttering, following Jesus, belonging to a church, like a community of faith, how can, those, like, how can making that simple change anything about my life? Like how does that, how does decluttering following Jesus and belonging to a community of believers, like how does that change anything in my life outside of maybe an hour or so on Sunday or maybe an hour or so on Wednesday? And here's the answer, right? I just need you to see this. If, if being a follower of Jesus for us gets reduced down to a list of doing or not doing certain things so that God will like us, or if belonging to a community, a family of faith, right, people who are, are following Jesus, which is the church, if that gets relegated to an hour or so twice a week, then I'm just to be honest with you, you've missed the whole point. You've missed the whole point. And the truth is this, you will never be satisfied and life will always feel like a high wire act with no safety net. If that's the way we approach it, If we approach our relationship with God as just, hey, listen, God, just tell me what I need to do. Tell me the things, the boxes I need to check so that hopefully if I do enough of these things, you'll like me. And if if our commitment 
If our commitment and connection to a family of believers and followers of Jesus is just like, yeah, we get together a couple times a week for a couple hours, and that's about it. That's it. That's, that's, that's the extent to which my commitment will go, right? That's the, that's the end to which my commitment will go. And I, I remember having a conversation with parents when I, was a, when I was a student pastor, talking about, like, we had a lot of parents, a lot of times that the expectation for parents for student ministry was we're going to drop our kids off with you when they're freshmen in high school, middle schoolers, whatever. And by the time they graduate high school, our expectation of you, youth pastor, is that they are fully trained, equipped, and mobilized disciples of Jesus. I'm like, okay. Um, we can't do that. Like, that's not what we do. And it's no different now, right? Being in a position now of, of being a lead pastor and leading a church, if the expectation is you, like, listen, I want to be a fully equipped, trained disciple. I want to be a different kind of parent. I want to be a different kind of spouse. I want to be a different kind of employee, a different kind of leader. I want to lead the way that Jesus would. I want to be, I want to be, I want my marriage to be like what Jesus, if, if the expectation is that you're going to get there by spending an hour with us on a Sunday, same thing I would have the, the conversation I have with student ministry parents is this. It's like, you know, if you take an hour, hour every Sunday, if you just attend perfect attendance on Sunday throughout the year, you know what that adds up to? 52 hours. That's four hours longer than two days out of 365. And you think that's going to be successful? You think that's going to be, do you think that level of commitment, you're going to find yourself shifting and changing? Probably not. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. And so the thing is, it's like if that's the way we approach this, then we're going to find ourselves always in this place of searching for something to satisfy us. We'll never be satisfied, and life will always feel like a high wire act that we've got to get from one side to the other. Here's the simple truth, all right? Faith in Jesus, right, that's what we believe. And faithfulness to Jesus, that's how we live They are meant to, this is the truth, they are meant to and intended to meet the fundamental needs for every aspect to our lives and the deepest desires of our heart. And this is not prosperity gospel, right? I'm not saying it's like, yes, if you show up at church and if you do these things, if you check the boxes, then your life is going to be simple and easy and great. It'll be a breeze. And that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this, what Jesus promises us in his gospels, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, And I am the life. You don't get the life you look for, Jesus says, without going through me. That's how you get it. Right, Jesus, again, he says this, like, I came so that you can have an abundant life, life to the full, life maxed out. So what this means is this, being in a relationship with Jesus, being in a relationship with others who are in a relationship with Jesus, if you want to know what is the way to get these fundamental needs and desires in my life met, That's it. Jesus says there's no other way. There's no other way into the life that you're looking for except through me. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And and faith, see what happens is this. Faith and faithfulness, the the reason, the the question we're answering here is why why would decluttering my faith with Jesus, my relationship with Jesus, and my relationship, how how is that going to change my life? How is that going to change every part of my life? Here's why. Faith and faithfulness, right? They, They permeate every part of our lives. We all believe in something. The truth of the matter is this. Everyone has faith. Everyone has faith. You're like, well, atheists don't. Yes, they do. They just believe in not believing, right? They have faith. And and when, when it comes to faith, we all have faithfulness. Faith is what we believe in. Faithfulness is how we live our lives. We all have faith. 
And it's time for us, again, we get to simplify this. We get a chance to, to, to make this more simple. And so our, that faith, whatever it is that we believe in, we will bend and shape our lives around. What we believe in, who we believe in, affects every part of our lives. And so when we talk about uncomplicating, right, simplifying the with God life, here's what that does. It makes every other aspect of our lives a little less cluttered and a little less complicated. And last week, I shared this quote from Dallas Willard. I think it bears repeating, right? What he says is this, the path to living a simple, decluttered, with God kind of life is paved by two things, abundance, which is delighting in the person, the presence, the power of Jesus, and obedience, which is becoming a lover of the ways of Jesus. And to me, there's, there's, I find that refreshing. Why? Because it's not a list of 100 things to do every single day, every single week, every single month. It's two things. Two things to build our lives on, two things to build our lives around. And it fits exactly with what Jesus said. Jesus' main message when he would preach was this, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is here. Like the word repent means to turn away from and turn towards, towards something else. So repent, I'm turning away from an old way of life in order to turn towards something new. Believe means I'm putting my faith and then wrapping my life around something real to believe in. Now, we're gonna dive into Philippians today. And here's what, but here's what I, I want us to make sure that we know, right? This is important. Simple doesn't mean easy. That's not what simple means. When we start talking about unpacking and defining simple, simple doesn't mean easy. What we're talking about over the next several weeks is this. What simple means for us is this, clear, real, right, and true. And I think for a lot of us in here, that's really what we're searching for. We're not looking for easy. We're looking for just tell me the truth. Just, just make some things clear for me because right now it feels real foggy and real muddy. Like tell me what's right because it's hard to tell right from wrong. Tell me what's true because I feel like there's a lot of truth and a lot of lies, a lot of things that claim to be true. And so when you leave here today, I just wanna be honest with you, when you leave here today, you're not gonna walk out of church today with some magical solution that's gonna make your life really easy. In fact, for many of us, what this means is abundance from Jesus and obedience to Jesus might actually make our lives a little bit more difficult for a season because there's some things we need to change. But here's what you will leave here with, right? If you hang in for the next few weeks, what you're gonna walk out with is this. It's the clear, real, right, and true life that God desires for you. That's what you're gonna walk out here with. It's a life that Jesus makes possible, and it's a life that the Holy Spirit makes a reality for us. So that's enough setup, right? That's a quick flyby. Let's dive into it. You got your Bibles with you this morning. We're gonna be in Philippians chapter one. So for the next handful of weeks, we're gonna be diving into the book of Philippians, right? So Philippians chapter one, verse one says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Paul's intro. It's just basically like his dear Philippi, Right, here's who's writing you this letter, and here's some encouragement I have for you. Just a quick little bit of context. We don't have the ability to kind of rehash everything we did last week. If you want to know, if you weren't here, go back and listen to the podcast or watch the video on Facebook or YouTube. Here's what you need to know. Quick flyby. Philippi was a Roman military retirement community, and the church was launched by this team, Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke, right? This team of missionaries and church planners that came into Philippi. And their launch team, the people in Philippi that they chose to help launch the church, were really three people. 
It was a, a foreign fashion designer from Asia whose name was Lydia. It was a previously demon-possessed girl from, from Greece and a Roman blue-collar blue grunt turned prison guard, right? What we learned last week was this, that the simple church is a place where anyone and everyone can come as they are, encounter the gospel, and become all that God desires them to be. That's what, it, that's what we talk about. We talk about the simple church. That's what it is. That's what it is. The takeaway from last week and kind of reading about that the way that this church got started was that this, that simple church is a place for everybody, anyone and everyone. They can come as they are, encounter the gospel, and become everything that God desires them to be. And so the book of the Bible that we call Philippians was actually a letter written by Paul to this group, to this family of people, right? This, this, this community of people in Philippi. And it was written, Philippians was written nearly 10 years after the launch of the church of Philippi, what we read about last week. But catch this. I need us to understand this. Here, here's some context. Paul, as he's writing this letter, he's in the midst of a two-year house arrest in Rome. And so in that house arrest, for two years in Rome, Paul was either being watched by a Roman guard all the time, or sometimes he was literally chained to a Roman guard. So you're trying to imagine, you know, if you're right-handed and you're trying to write a letter, because back then you couldn't send email, right, or send a text, but you had to write a letter, hand it to someone, and they would then take it to the church and then read it. Imagine trying to write a letter while chained to another person. You know, it's like you're trying to get over to, like, the front of the page again. You're like, hey, buddy, can you slide over a couple feet, you know, like, so I can get this, so I can write this down? That was Paul's life. He was alone in Rome on house arrest. They let people visit him. But really, he was always under direct supervision from some type of guard, right? And here's what he says as he's writing this letter. He says, and this in verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day, Acts 16, till now. So 10 years, 10 years of relationship, 10 years of connection, 10 years of them supporting him, 10 years of them praying for him, 10 years of relationship, right? And this is what he has to say. I mean, I thank God when I remember you. In every prayer of mine, I find joy because of your partnership in the gospel, the story of Jesus, from the very beginning, the first day, until this moment. I listened to a, a sermon this week by a guy named Ben Stewart. He's a pastor, uh, and he, he used to be a pastor at, at Texas A&M University. Now he's the pastor of Passion City Church in Washington, D.C. And in this sermon that I listened to, he quoted a, a poet and author named Marina Keegan, who wrote an essay in 2012 called The Opposite of Loneliness. And that, that poem went viral back in 2012 because it was seen by nearly 2 million people in 98 countries because she wrote this, this poem and, and then graduated from Yale University and five days later was killed in a car crash. So this poem she wrote went viral. Here's what she said. She said, we don't have a word for the opposite of loneliness, but if we did, I could say that's what I want in life. See, loneliness is the new pandemic. It just is. Christy, my wife, was telling me that, that this week that in the United Kingdom, they now have a role in their government called the Minister of Loneliness, which sounds like it should come directly out of a Harry Potter book. But they have a government position, the Minister of Loneliness. That's a terrible title. How would you like that to be your job title? Hi, I'm Brad. Uh, I'm the Minister of Loneliness. 
Like that's, you're probably not going to win a lot of friends or influence with that, right? It's, it's, it's either, you're either a Lord of the Rings villain, you know, or it's like an awesome name for a metal band, right? Like that'd be a good name for, but, but seriously, that's, that's how serious this, this loneliness is. It's to the point that, that in government positions, right, that they're appointing people to go, listen, you got to help us figure this thing out. You got to help us figure out loneliness. There's a fundamental need and desire that is hardwired into our hearts as people to have spaces where we can fully know others and also be fully known by others. You know, it's like, as I was writing this this week, it's like, you know, as I'm thinking about that, that need and that fundamental need and desire to, to be known, but also to fully know others, to be fully known and known. Like, I, I was thinking about that, and I realized, like, the people that wrote the theme song for Cheers were really on to something, Right? Think about it. Hear the lyrics, and you can sing along with me. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see that your troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Bum, right? Like, like, like you just hear it starts playing in your head. They were on to something. Like that, there's a part of that of going like, yeah, I want to watch some reruns of Cheers. Because there's a part of that that I identify. Like, yes, I want to be where somebody knows I want to be somewhere where I can look across the table at someone and go, here's my problems. And they go, you know what? My problems are very similar. We have the same issues. There's an ache in us to have some kind of space in our lives where people know us, where people miss us, where they notice if we don't show up, when they check in with us if we're gone. There's a part of us, right, that longs to believe somewhere somebody is thinking about me. We're on their minds, and, like, we, we know that. Here's why we know that, because they're on ours. We think about them. We notice when they don't show up. We miss them after we haven't seen them for a while. There's this ache and desire within us that basically is this. We need to know that we're not alone in the world. We need to know I'm not alone. And that's what Paul is facing in his life as he's writing this letter to this group of people in Philippi. Paul is alone. He's on house arrest. He's in Rome awaiting his trial with no end in sight, right? And in that space of loneliness, he turns to the people that he knows. That's a group of people I love. Like I said last week, Philippians is the only one of Paul's letters that he writes to a church where he offers zero criticism and zero correction. Every other letter that Paul wrote to a church was to correct something or to address a crisis. In Philippians, he's just going, can I just tell you guys how much I love you, how much I appreciate you? I mean, it is. It's just one encouragement after another. He's on house arrest. Paul is alone. He's awaiting this trial. And he turns to the people that he knows he loves. And he knows also loves him back. And in the midst of all of the complexity and complications with Paul's situation and circumstance, here's what he does. Paul taps into and connects with and finds life in simple friendship. It's simple. And simple friendship for us, if you want to take a picture of this, this is what you want to take a picture of. If you're taking notes, easiest way to do it is grab a picture of the screen, okay? Simple friendship in the with God life is where our fundamental needs and desires for a cause in a community get met. And you may look at this and go, like, simple friendship, like, that sounds kind of cheesy. It sounds like the song we sang at the last day of church camp, right, where everybody cries and gives their life to Jesus again. 
right? It's like friends are friends forever. And you're just like swaying with your middle school boys. And you're like, I'm going to miss you guys. I won't see you for a whole day, right? I get it. It sounds a little cheesy. But here's the thing. I, I realized this that when I was writing this. Like the, the title for this week was supposed to be Simple Community. And as I'm reading this, I'm going, you know what? Like friendship is actually a real term. Community is a vague churchy word that churches use to describe groups and things like that, which they are. It's a great place to find that. It's a great place to exist in that, right? But here's the truth. A lot of times we can walk into things that are labeled community and still feel completely alone and walk out feeling completely alone. In friendship, that's where we find somebody else to connect our lives to. So yeah, it's a little corny. It's a little cheesy. But I think if we're, if we're being honest, if we could kind of drop the act even the toughest ones of us in this room, if we could drop the act, we'd go, yeah, I could use a little friendship, right? Like, give me a slap bracelet or a friendship, like, just, like, who's the person I'm friends with? See, we have matching bracelets. Like, we would love to do that, right? If we're being honest, there's this part of us that's like, we're, we're aching for that. And, and Jesus, like, friendship, there's something about friendship that's different. I love this, like, in Jesus, Jesus in John 15, he talks about, he says this, he says, listen, I don't call you servants, I call you friends, Imagine that. Imagine being one of Jesus' disciples. God with skin on looks at you and says, you're not my servants. You're my friends. What that would have done in their lives. What that would have done. What, that, what they would have felt in that moment. Like, I'm, we're, we're friends? I had coffee with a guy this week. We were talking about friendship and loneliness. And he said, you know what it comes down to? it." he said, I would, love, I, I would take four quarters over 100 pennies. And a lot of us, we do. It's like we think, like, well, I've got, I know a lot of people. Like, I know a lot of people. There's a lot of people I hang out with, a lot of people I spend time with. I know a lot of people. I got 100 pennies, but it's like, you know what? I would trade 100 pennies for four quarters. Some of the four friends that were, that were worth it, like worth a lot, valuable. You know, I'm one of their four. They're, they're, they're my four. I think we would do that if we're being honest. And here's what Paul says. He goes on in verse 6. He says, I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work, right, the cause in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are partakers of grace with me, right, in both my imprisonment and in also in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. That's community. So we find in this friendship, simple friendship Paul had with a group of people in Philippi. It was built around this cause and community of Jesus, because here's the thing, they weren't actually in prison with Paul. Even though he says, you're sharing my imprisonment. They weren't actually in the prison with Paul. They weren't actually on the stand, right, on trial to defend the gospel. They weren't there. They weren't standing in, in whatever the witness box or jury box. They were not standing in that space with Paul. But here's the deal. To Paul, it felt like they were. It felt like, you know what? I'm by myself on house arrest. But man, it feels like I'm with my community my community that's connected to this cause of Jesus, this cause of sharing the gospel. Simple friendship is this. It's the connection to a cause and a community that reminds us that we're not alone in the world in all situations. And there have been all kinds of studies done on, on the need for human connection and community. One study showed this, that our belonging, our need for belonging, runs so deep that, uh, that only one instance of exclusion harmed people's well-being, they literally felt sick despite no physical illness. Being excluded one time impacted their well-being. They felt sick. 
it lowered IQ test scores. And the study said that it also had a profound negative effect on the immune system. So here's the takeaway. Lack of a connection and friendship hurts our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strength. Being excluded, finding ourselves on the outside, hurts us spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically. It's how God wired us. Another study showed that the people who had a clear purpose in life actually live longer than those that don't. And it said that people without a cause are twice as likely to die within a certain age range. It's the age range of of 25 to 50. Within that age range, those people without a clear purpose are twice as likely to die than those that do have a purpose. Here's the takeaway. Simple friendship, right, which is a connection to a community and a cause, is built into the fabric of our existence. And we talked about this in our Man Up series. We talked about how God created humanity. And when God looked at Adam, who was alone in the garden, he had a ton of animals, had all kinds of stuff to do. But when God looked at Adam in the garden, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. So he created woman. So he gave them community. But then beyond that, he also gave them a cause and a purpose. He says this, reflect my image and my likeness. Work and keep the garden. Be fruitful and multiply, right? So not only did God create humanity with a need, a fundamental need for community, he also created us with a purpose. Our need for a community and a cause go all the way back to Genesis. And I read a story this week about soldiers in World War II who would be injured. They would get injured on the front lines, right? They would get injured and they would get taken back to, you know, the, the, a, a kind of a, a defendable position, kind of at the rear of the front, and they would, they would put them in a hospital, right? So you go in a hospital to, to kind of rest and, and recover, recover from your wounds so we can figure out if you can go back to the front line and be effective or not, or if we need to send you home. I read stories that soldiers would sneak out. They'd sneak out of the hospital at night and they would walk injured all the way back up to the front line so they could be with their brothers. They could be with their community. The community and cause was clear. These are my brothers who I fight with. And the cause is we gotta win this thing. I mean, you imagine that, being wounded in a hospital and going, I, 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 the only thing you can think about is I gotta get back to the front line where, where, where my community is. I gotta get back to the front line where my cause is. And I'm willing to sneak out wounded to rejoin that group. Here's what Paul says in Philippians, starting at verse eight. He says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with all the affection of Christ Jesus. It's a great picture of even that sneaking out to go rejoin the front line. God is my witness, how much I yearn for my brothers, right? This band of brothers, whatever it is. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and all discernment so that you can approve what is excellent, so you can be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, right? Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Church, this is where things get really important. In the sermon I listened to, Ben Stewart says this, we all know that, that we have these drives for intimacy and impact, we have drives for, for, a, for a people and a purpose. We have drives for a group and a goal. Those things exist in us, but there are ways to satisfy these desires and drives that range from damaging and destructive to good, better, or best. When it comes to simple community or simple friendship, right, what the community and the cause are rooted in matters. 
And what we just learned in those few verses is this. Paul, he roots his cause and he roots his community in the gospel. Here's the truth, right? For, for Paul and the people in the church in Philippi, intimacy and impact, people and purpose, the group and the goal, were all tied to growing in faithful abundance from Jesus and faithful obedience to Jesus. What it's rooted in matters. And I don't know if you picked up on this, right? Companies these days, right? If you watch advertisements these days, companies, they're not selling products anymore. They're not so much selling products as they are selling belonging to something. And you go, why? Just, just pay attention. Pay attention today or this week as you're watching TV. Pay attention to the commercials, right? Every, everything at this point is a club. Everything is, is a subscription. Everything is you want to you you subscribe to this and belong to this and be a part of this. And here's why. Stuff doesn't sell anymore. Like just stuff doesn't sell. But a cause and a community, that sells. And some causes, here's the truth, are better than others. I read this week about the top 10 tech fails of the last few years. And, and again, there's an opportunity to kind of join a cause and community. The thing that I read about was, was about a product called the Laser Razor. It was the, it was the number one tech fail in the last few years. This is the laser. You can just leave this up. Get a picture of me. That looks awesome. I mean, this, it looks cool. It's, it's like it's, you're shaving with a laser. It's like something you've seen in a sci-fi movie. And so here's what, they, here's what they did. The people that designed this product, they said, listen, we get, we're giving you the opportunity to join a cause and a community that's going to change and revolutionize shaving forever. And here's the deal. For $189, this, this laser razor guarantees to eliminate razor burn. It can't, you can't cut yourself anymore. It will not damage your skin. You look at this and go, that's stupid. It received over $400 million in backing funds. People wanted to join the cause and community of the, the laser razor. Why? To say, I was there and I was in line and I was a part of changing the way humanity shaves forever. The product was scrapped when the developers shared that the laser razor can only shave one hair at a time. It requires all this energy from a laser to kind of be transferred from the laser to the hair on your face or wherever, right? And it can only do that one at a time. So it's like, yes, you can revolutionize, but it'll take you a week to shave your face, right? Like it's causes, some causes are better than others. Communities, some communities are better than others. Communities change. I can remember my, my freshman year of college, and, and I can, you, you think back to, it's like people say, listen, like the, the friends you make in high school won't compare to the kind of friendships you make in college. They will be your friends forever. They'll be your lifelong friends. And I can remember freshman year of college, we had been there for about a week, and we went out to dinner at this place called Bennigan's, which is like the knockoff version of Applebee's. And I'm sitting there around this table with a bunch of people going, man, this is it. This is it. Found them. One week. One week in my freshman year of college, I found my friends who are going to be my friends for the rest of my life. Can I just say this? We weren't really friends two weeks later. Like Once we got through freshman orientation, it was like, nah, it's, it's, okay, see ya. Some communities, right, they're better than others. Some communities last. Some communities don't. There's this old youth pastor saying, right, that we always share with, with our students, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And there's, there's scientific data, believe it or not, that, that, that goes along with this. They say that, that as people, we are a composite of the five people we spend the most time with. So there's some truth to that. 
When you start thinking about the causes and communities you want to join and be a part of, some causes are better than others, and some communities are better than others. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And that doesn't change, right? Even as adults, it matters. Some communities and causes, they're noble and good. I read this week about King Leonidas. If you've ever seen the movie 300, right? It's King Leonidas. King Leonidas was a Spartan warrior, Spartan king. He protected his people, noble cause. Protect his people from the Persian army that's basically just wiping people out. That's a noble cause. And his men would often say things like, well, the reason we follow King Leonidas is because even though he's a king, he still gets down on the front line and fights with us. Even though he's a king, he doesn't sit up on a throne. He eats with us. When we went out to the front, right, he, he didn't sleep somewhere in some tent that was like cushy and nice. He slept on the ground like us. And his men would say things like, we will follow him anywhere. We will be a part of his community. We will take up and join whatever cause King Leonidas says to do. King Leonidas, the reason he was such a great leader was because he did things with his men. He did things like his men. But here's the two. He died with them. And he died like them. It was a noble cause. It was a noble community. But guess what? The cause and community died when he died. It's a good cause. Protect your people. Good community, battle forged, but not the best. It's not the best community. But then we look at Jesus. Jesus came to rescue and save humanity. Jesus, he ate with sick people. He hung out with disqualified people. He gave dignity and honor to throwaway people. That was his cause. That was his community. He came to seek and save the lost. And they tried to kill him for it, but it didn't work. It's the difference between Jesus and people like King Leonidas. Good cause, noble cause, good community. It died when he died. Jesus, best cause, best community. Why? Because they tried to kill him for it, and it didn't work. So for us, here's what that means. There's no greater cause and no greater community than that what we find in Jesus. Here's the truth, church. Our yearning for friendship, that cause and community, right, that can only truly be met in the cause and community of Jesus. Why? Because he's not dead. Because he's alive. Which means this, his cause is still alive. And it means this, his community is still alive. He's still leading us and we're still following him. I talked with someone who brought a friend to Easter. And here's what I mean by this. I talked with someone who brought a friend to Easter. And after what they saw on Easter, what they said was this, I don't know how I'm going to describe what I saw here today. Someone who wasn't a believer in Jesus, didn't necessarily follow Jesus, had never really spent a whole lot of time in a community and a cause like this. And after leaving on Easter, that was, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to describe what I saw here today. That's what we're all about. That's why this cause and this community is unlike anything else. Because it doesn't really make sense when, when a world looks in and says, I, I don't know how to describe this. Simple friendship in the with God life is where the fundamental needs and desires for a cause and a community are met and satisfied in and through Jesus, and there's nothing else like it. And here's where we're going to land the plane, right? The last thing I want to talk about today is this. The last question I want to answer is this. When it comes to simple friendship and the cause and community of Jesus, who gets in and who can join? See, most causes 
And most communities, they've got requirements to join. My, my wife and I spent the, the last couple of weekends watching uh, this show on History Channel called The Selection, which is they take 30 civilians and they walk them through basically a conglomerate of, a kind of composite of the Navy SEAL BUDS course and the, our, the Green Beret training programs. So it started with 30, only four made it. Right? There's, a, there, there's requirements to join a community like that. There's a bar you have to be able to clear. And I, and I read this. I read a commentary that said this. Like The, the self-righteous people, right, the religious leaders back in this time, that, that set the bar of this is who you have to be in order to be a part of the church, they had a saying that went like this. I thank God that I'm not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. That was the, that was the bar. The religious leaders set the bar. If you want to be a part of the church, I thank God that I'm not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. You look back in Acts 16, which you talked about last week, did you catch who formed the foundation of simple friendship? Did you catch who, who, who were, they were a part, they were invited into and they were a part of the community of Jesus? Women, slaves, and Gentiles. I just think that's awesome. It's like the religious leaders are going, nah, that's, that, that's, the, that's the people we don't want. And Paul went, like, those, those would be the people we actually do want. Women, slaves, and Gentiles, it's open for anybody. Lydia, Lydia, who was a successful businesswoman, she was wealthy, she was independent, she was a foreigner, and she was an outsider. She was seeking something and someone real to believe in. She found simple friendship through a conversation about Jesus. It was a conversation between her and Paul out by a riverside. The slave girl, she was poor, she was exploited, she was treated like property, not a person. She was possessed by an evil spirit. Guess how she found simple friendship? She found it through the liberation that comes from Jesus. The jailer, duty-bound grunt that just wanted to earn a living through following orders. He found simple friendship through a new direction and a new dedication to the mission of Jesus. So some find their way in through conversation, some find their way in through liberation, and some find their way in through a rededication to a mission that matters. Who clears the bar for simple friendship and the cause and community of Jesus? People like that. Do you want to know who doesn't clear the bar? The self-righteous and the hyper-religious. My friend Jim Bergen said it like this, it's possible to obey everything that Jesus said and not love him. That's called Religion. And it goes back to what Willard said. It's, it's, it's the abundance, right? It's, it's loving the person of Jesus and it's obedience. It's loving the ways of Jesus. And it's, not, it's both and, not either or. We love the person of Jesus and the ways of Jesus. And simple friendship and the cause and community of Jesus, it starts with simply being and becoming friends with and friends of Jesus. If you don't simply love Jesus or allow Jesus to simply love you, then how can you expect to love what he loves, who he loves, or how he loves? Jesus, he said it like this, Matthew 7. says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And I told you about John 15, where Jesus looks at his disciples who were rejected by the religious elite, all but one, Judas. See how that worked out for him? All but one of those guys was rejected by the, by the religious elite. And Jesus says, I call you friends. I mean, that would have rocked their worlds. 
No, no one in his kind of position would have ever done that. I mean, even, even the religious leaders, they didn't look at their people that were their, were their disciples. They never called them friends. Jesus says, we're friends. So church, I wanna make this really simple. Here's how to enter in a simple friendship that's rooted in the cause and community of Jesus. Ben Stewart said it so well. The community and cause of Jesus is entered into by a simple admission of need. And I know that's hard for us. Especially men in the room, I know how hard that is to go, I need help. I'm not just gonna make that to to men. That's a broad stroke too. Men and women, right? Sometimes it's just hard to go, I need help. If you want to enter into simple friendship with Jesus, you just have to admit the need. We don't enter into and gain access to simple friendship with Jesus and with one another with our hands and our arms full of our accomplishments. We enter into simple friendship with Jesus and with others empty-handed, right? Admitting our needs. And so as we wrap up today, I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna worship and then head out or head to groups. My challenge for us is this, to examine our causes and the communities that we're a part of. Because the, the truth is, even though it feels noble and cool and cutting edge and great, some of us might be connected to the causes and communities which are the equivalent of the laser razor. We need to rethink that. And this is why I said, for some of us when it comes to, and we don't do a good job of this in the church, I'll just, I'll just admit this, we don't do a good job in the church talking about the things we have to struggle through. Sometimes it's a struggle. Some of us, we may need to look at the causes and communities we've connected our lives to and we have to disconnect those. We have to unhitch our wagon from, or unhitch our horse from whatever you know, thing that it is we're, we're connected to. And that's difficult. It's difficult saying, listen, I don't know that we can really, I, I can't really be a part of this anymore. I can't really, I, I, this, my, my life is full of these meaningless causes and these communities that are just not good for me. So I've got to create more space in my life to connect to something that's going to take me where ultimately Jesus wants me to go. So my challenge for you this week is to examine the causes and communities that you're a part of. Can they really meet and satisfy that fundamental need for impact and intimacy, for people and purpose, for a group and a goal? Does it really do that? Or at the end of the day, do you already know? No, this this is temporary. This is whatever. We need friends. Jesus offers us friendship. Not just servanthood, right? He offers us friendship. I mean, the Bible tells us that when we accept and trust Jesus, we become co-heirs with him. We're his brothers and sisters. That's what's on the table today, church. So today you want to accept Jesus. If you've never accepted Jesus into your life, I'd love to meet you down front. I'll be right down here when we worship. If today you want to join this church, you want to join this cause and this community, I'd love to chat with you about the same spot. Today you need prayer. We'd love to offer prayer for you as well. We'd love to pray with you and for you. Examine your causes. Examine your communities. Some of them might be good and noble, but they're nowhere near the cause and community that Jesus offers you. What needs to change? What needs to shift? What kind of space do you need to make in your life to root and connect the simple friendship that we find in the cause?
cause and community of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We pray all this in your name, Lord. We thank you that, that we do have a place like Adventure where we can, we can come as we are. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be all put together. But the cause and community in this place allows us to be authentic. So God, I pray today that we go home and maybe we have conversations with our spouses or maybe we just go to lunch and, and, and talk through what does it look like for us to get more connected in a place like this? Or what does it look like for us to, to, to kind of disconnect and detach from, from causes and communities that, that just want to drain us and take from us versus a cause and a community that wants to pour life into us? Father, I pray for bold conversations. I pray for courage to have those conversations. I pray for the faith and faithfulness to do whatever is necessary for us to find life in you and through are so good to us. We love you. We worship you now. Amen. Stand and let's sing together.